0: If you enjoy The Harrowing of Minerva Damson and want to join the Order of Joan in their fight against the monsters stalking the trenches, there are several ways you can support the war effort. Find us on Patreon and enlist, or donate to the Order on ACAST. You can also connect with Order Headquarters via Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Links can be found in our bio. The Harrowing of Minerva Damson is a horror podcast and contains descriptions of war that some may find graphic or disturbing
1: It
0: seemed natural, inevitable even, that Minerva Damson should join the Order of Joan once the war began. She'd won several archery tournaments, after all. She'd excelled at the sport, while attending her all-girls boarding school tucked away in the charming New England countryside. She wasn't bad at fencing, either. French was part of the core curriculum, so she could speak the language well enough. And above all else, she had the spirit for it with a hunger for adventure that had hitherto been sustained by reading novels like Robinson Crusoe, The Count of Monte Cristo, and Treasure Island. When she'd seen the first recruitment poster for the American Order of Jones seeking women of exemplary courage and fortitude to aid their battle-bound sisters in Europe and Africa, she knew her opportunity had come. In fact, she was absolutely certain that it was her destiny. Her parents did not share the sentiment. Her father had scoffed, red-faced, when Minnie mentioned her interest over the summer break.
2: The Order? That's for spinsters, ruined widows, and sapphists, not women of consequence with bright futures ahead of them.
0: Her mother agreed, as dour and disapproving as always. You're much too beautiful to waste on a place like that, dear. No man wants a woman who acts like a pirate and has the scars to match. With that, she'd left her husband with the task of disabusing Minnie of her cockamamie scheme, determined to keep her own appointment with her lady's salon. Minnie maintained her composure through the rest of her father's spluttering lecture, in which he repeatedly forbade the whole hare-brained, childish affair. Once he was good and winded, he retired to his study to enjoy a soothing cigar and tumbler of brandy, and Minnie had promptly left the house and did exactly what he told her not to. She found the nearest order recruitment office, this one little more than a booth tucked into a corner of the local Woolworths, and happily enlisted. Her 18th birthday had been the day before, after all. A fact her parents had seemingly forgotten, or at least not taken into account. Really, her mother shouldn't have made such a comparison to pirates. If anything, that had cemented Minnie's resolve. Becoming a pirate had been a favorite fantasy of hers since childhood, but she'd settle for becoming a knight instead. Now, a year later and an ocean away, Minnie wouldn't say she regretted her decision exactly, but she could confidently admit that the romantic notions she'd held had been roundly stripped away, leaving nothing but her grit and stubborn resolve to keep going. The walk back to the trenches was much more pleasant than the flight to the glade the night before. Or it would have been if she hadn't been carrying a severed head. It was a beautiful morning, and the scent on the breeze carried the earliest promise of spring. It was notably blowing in the opposite direction of the trenches. The closer she came to her destination, however, the faster the delicate aroma faded. It was quickly overpowered by the smell of mud and fetid rot. Minnie was used to men staring. First, she was a woman, and men always goggled at women in public. Second, she was a woman in a war zone, the only one the soldiers had seen in weeks likely, maybe longer. And, of course, she was in uniform, with a bow and quiver of arrows slung over her back and a decapitated head gripped by its hair in her right fist. She ignored the stares. It was a skill all women gained, and it was one she'd perfected by now. She marched into the command dugout where she knew the captain would be, staunchly ignoring the protests of the guards stationed outside, and tossed the head onto the captain's desk. What the devil? Captain Marks lurched to his feet, along with all the other men in the lamplit hole. Behind her, the two guards made sounds of distress but made no move to seize her. They'd seen the color of her uniform beneath the drying mud and knew better than to try. I took care of your problem. Your vampire problem, to be exact. Captain Marks looked between the head on his desk and her and back again, his face flushing crimson and his lip twitching beneath his bristly mustache. I see no vampire, you madwoman. I see a defiled corpse. Minnie strode forward, her patience paper thin. To the horror of everyone in the dugout, she grabbed the head, stuck her fingers between its cold, dead lips, and peeled them back. Their collective cries of outrage and disgust immediately died to nothing. The ones who could see the vampires' elongated cuspids stared in shock. The ones who couldn't were watching the ones who could and shuffling around to get a better look for themselves. Your men aren't deserters. Not yet. They were being picked off, one by one, by this. And there will be more before the war is over. Burn your dead. Captain Marks ripped his astonished gaze away from the head on his desk with great effort. They'd had this conversation nearly twenty-four hours ago, and it had gone poorly then. She hoped now he would see some sense. Denial was a tenacious thing.
2: Forgive me, miss, but do you honestly expect me
0: to believe in all of this— He waved his hand. Poppycock? She had expected him to follow orders, but— being the lord of his muddy fiefdom, he had simply failed to enforce them. He was far from the only one who did so. It wasn't hard to ignore the order to burn the dead for many reasons. Most of their men were loath to do the job of collecting the dead and throwing them on pyres, and the order itself was worded weakly with a when possible added to the end. Despite boredom being a chronic issue in the trenches, most commanding officers claimed there was never time. Marx was such an officer, that special combination of devout, dismissive, and arrogant. Not necessarily a bad captain in other ways, but in this, an absolute skeptic, and therefore a dangerous idiot. So she simply said, Yes. He snorted.
2: Magic is nothing but witchery and old biddies with herb lore. It has nothing to do with war. Certainly it can't be causing the attrition of our ranks. Only bullets, damp, and cowards are to
0: blame. With due respect, sir, you're mistaken. It can and it has. The evidence is right in front of you, she gestured pointedly at the head on his desk. If nothing else, consider cremation a preventative measure. The captain's mouth twitched and his nostrils flared. Minnie had no doubt he was sorely wishing he could eject her from his domain. Not that he could. The Order of Joan was permitted to operate within the theater of war, so long as its members weren't direct combatants, and that was an order Captain Marks wasn't fool enough to ignore. When she'd first turned up, he hadn't even thought to speak more than a few words to her. He'd probably thought Minnie harmless, a distraction for bored men at most. Since he didn't believe there was a threat, there was no need to hinder her movements. He'd expected her to turn up empty-handed, not with a monster's head. Now he was reassessing her. He was not pleased by what he saw. She could practically see reason wrestling with stung pride behind his eyes. Sheffield! A man behind Minnie snapped to attention.
2: Yes, sir. Put a detail together. I want these trenches cleared of bodies by nightfall.
0: There was a pause. The captain's gaze had started to shift back to Minnie, but flicked again to Sheffield when the man didn't move.
2: Sir, so, the men won't like it if they think they'll be burned when
0: they die. Well, then tell them not to die. Now go. The man hurried from the dugout. Minnie heard him barking a name as he left. No doubt the officer he would promptly voice the unpleasant responsibility onto. Marks sank into his chair, passing his hand through his graying, brown hair.
2: Is there anything else to be done?
0: Minnie nodded, her hardness melting into weariness. There have been isolated reports of German sorcerers raising ghouls from no-man's land and sending them into our trenches. At his blank look, she clarified, The living dead, sir. Corpses that eat the living. They're very hard to kill. Well, what do we do about it, then? It isn't safe
2: to traipse about no man's land, gathering bodies. If it were, we'd have done it already.
0: There are some countermagic wards I can teach one of your men to make. Preferably someone who is familiar with the practice of magic, or at least seen some of it. The wards will make an attack by ghouls less likely. And if an attack comes anyway? Minnie shrugged. The only way to stop them is total dismemberment, or fire. They're slow, typically, but strong. So it's better to prevent an attack, or head it off as soon as one comes. I see. Marx looked around at the men assembled. Any of you acquainted with... His lip curled slightly.
2: The practice of magic?
0: One of the guards that had rushed in after Minnie cleared his throat. My, my nan knew some, some small things. Little tricks to uh, find lost things and predict the weather and such. The captain stared at the young man for a moment, before he nodded briskly.
2: Will that suffice?
0: For now. It'd be good to find a few more men if you can. Anyone would do in a pinch. Anyone could learn magic. But it would be easier and quicker to teach men who already had some experience with it, even if that experience was second-hand. I can teach them all at once, and then you won't be putting all your eggs in one basket.
2: I'll find more, but you're not fit to teach anyone anything at the moment.
0: After some brief deliberation, Captain Marks added, You can catch some kept in my bunk. Nobody will bother you there. There was a door to the captain's room, such as it were. He seemed to share it with one of the other senior officers, as there were two mattresses, one above the other, on a wire frame. A real bed, Minnie thought in exultation. No matter that it might be covered in lice... At the moment, it seemed far better than sleeping curled up on the cold ground or in the empty shambles of an abandoned building. Once the door was closed, Minnie shucked her helmet, dirty boots and coat, her mini-belts, her quiver and jerkin, then smacked as much mud off her trousers as possible before she fell back onto the lower mattress. She immediately lapsed into a deep, dreamless sleep. When she woke, it was approaching dusk, and there was a hot meal waiting for her. Her mouth instantly began to water at the smell of warm bread and soup. Just the fact that it was hot made tears briefly prick her eyes. Someone had brought her haversack, which she had left earlier in the captain's care, and set it by the door. There was also a basin and cloth left on the desk in the corner, presumably so she could have something of a bath. The water was a sludgy brown when she finished wiping the mud from her face, hands, arms, and hair. It took her another twenty minutes to comb her brown locks and fix them back into a practical bun, then ten more to brush and beat the caked mud from her overcoat. When she was done, though, its distinctive persimmon color was once again easy to see, if a little muted, from a stubborn layer of fine dust across it. Someday, she would be in one place long enough to have it properly washed— It and the rest of her uniform. Her shirtwaist was stained with sweat, her trousers were likewise rhymed with dirt and perspiration, and everything smelled of body odor. A brisk knock sounded on her door as she shrugged the coat back over her shoulders. When she said it was all right to come in, a lieutenant poked his head cautiously inside. Upon seeing her fully clothed, he straightened and opened the door wider.
2: The men you wanted, miss.
0: He gestured, and four young men filed into the room and stood at attention. She could see them resisting the temptation to look around the captain's private bunk space or stare at her. Quick
2: if you can, Miss Stampson. They'll be needed for nightly duties soon.
0: She nodded, and he left, pointedly leaving the door wide open to protect her modesty. She was surprised Marks had allowed her to use this space for her briefing, but then they would be in the way almost anywhere else— and he might not want this meeting to be overheard by potential eavesdroppers. Talk of magic was a curious distraction for bored men, with all the potential of becoming an outright spectacle. The subject was all but taboo among Europeans, and had been for centuries. The four men in front of her stood rigidly at attention, and wore identical expressions of cautious interest. At ease, gentlemen. She examined each in turn as they relaxed into a parade rest. One man had a round, boyish face. In fact, he could hardly be called a grown man. She suspected he had joined up with a parent's permission, or maybe just lied to enlist. The next had a broken nose and a faint scar along his cheek, no stranger to violence, clearly. The third had dark skin, lovely brown eyes, and stood a few inches taller than the rest. The last had a shock of red hair and a shower of freckles across his face. She had them tell her their names in order. Perkins, Hodge, Swift, and Cresswell. You all know someone who practiced, I assume? They answered that they had. Is it too much to hope that any of you personally practiced? Swift licked his lips.
2: My grandmom had me practice a bit. Just
0: little things. Little charms to a... Keep away gas and such like bad things. But that was a long time ago. Minnie raised her eyebrows, impressed. Good, you have some experience with warding. That's good. Emboldened by this, Hodge raised his chin. My old man could
2: find anything for anyone. Used to find blokes who'd run out on their ladies. Or grifters, what took money from folk. Least he did before he bit the
0: dirt. Told me a trick or two. A scryer, then. He could be a valuable asset if he put his skill set to use for the military. But she couldn't blame Hodge for concealing his aptitudes. It wasn't worth the stigma, and worse, it was dangerous to be too open about such things. People still feared magic and were suspicious of those who practiced it, even more so here than in America in some ways. Excellent. This shouldn't be too hard for you, then. Now I'll be teaching you how to perform some basic warding rituals. They're sympathetic magics, which is just a fancy way of saying that they have some components, but nothing you shouldn't be able to find around here or easily get. The rituals will need to be performed once a week, but they should turn most dark workings away. A distant shout interrupted her well-rehearsed lecture. The soldiers glanced nervously through the open door into the chamber beyond, Minnie herself stole a peek. The oil lamps that hung around the tactical tables had recently been lit, and she saw the lieutenant from earlier stride toward the front of the dugout, craning his neck. More shouts. A scream. The first sharp report of gunfire. The men with her bolted from the room. Minnie started to follow. Instead, one of them, Cresswell, paused at the door. Stay here! He slammed the door shut behind him. Minnie hardly heard Cresswell's command, as if it would have stopped her anyway. A band of heat had erupted around her left wrist, and she jerked her sleeve back to reveal a bracelet of rough-cut crystals and nazars. It was meant to absorb ambient magics, to redirect or soften the effects of any dark sorcery that targeted her. Normally, it grew warm in the presence of strong magics. Now, It was so hot it blistered her skin. With a pained hiss, she undid the catch and let the bracelet fall to the wood slats beneath her feet. The cries of alarm grew louder outside. She scooped the bracelet from the floor and passed it between her hands as she lunged for her haversack. Once she'd tipped it into a pocket, she paused, her mind racing. Whatever was happening outside was definitely the result of powerful sorcery, and this company was woefully unprepared for almost any kind of magical threat. Hastily, she grabbed her boots and shoved her feet into them, thinking ahead as she assembled herself. There was really only one viable option. Two minutes later, and fully kitted out, she started for the door, her grip on the dagger at her belt. As soon as she opened the door... She saw a small group of men cluster into the bunker and throw the dugout door closed behind them. Two soldiers braced it, while another two started flipping over desks and barricading the entrance. A fifth lunged for the field telephone and began yelling into the receiver. What is it? Minnie demanded. One of the men holding the door turned to her, and she recognized him as Swift. It's... it's the day. He was gripping his trench knife tightly as he pressed his shoulder against the door. There were streaks of something vile smelling splattered across him.
2: They they just started they just started moving, and then they were pouring in
0: from above. Damn The fifth man, whom Minnie now could see was Captain Marks, slammed the telephone receiver down on the desk where he stood, now the only desk not turned over and piled against the door. Lines are damaged. He raked a hand through his hair, disheveling it. Chandra, get me that wireless set over there. He pointed to a stack of trunks that had yet to be thrown onto the barricade. Minnie looked between the captain and the door, dread sinking into her stomach. What are you doing? Calling for reinforcements. We can't stay here.
2: We can't lose this position! Do you know how long it took us to get this far?
0: No, and I don't care. These are ghouls, Captain. If we stay here will be dead long before anyone arrives, and then they'll die too, because they'll walk into a trench infested with ghouls without any of the proper tools to fight them. Something heavy thudded against the door outside. The younger men turned toward the door, faces blanched, limbs stiff with the need for flight. Minnie focused on the captain, and he on her. You have to call a retreat. Private Chandra recalled himself and brought the wooden box holding the wireless Morse transmitter to the captain. Marks took it and began to open it, ignoring Minnie and the man begging to be saved on the other side of the door. We can't waste time, Captain. Minnie looked at the faces of the soldiers in the bunker. There was Swift and Cresswell, a man named Chandra, and one more she didn't know, all of them holding on by a thread and clinging to the captain's orders like a lifeline. If we stay here, eventually the ghouls will find us and break down the door by sheer weight and numbers. Or the Germans will follow when their sorcerer puts the ghouls to ground and they'll shoot us like fish in a barrel. Our only hope of survival is running and living to fight another day. Marx wheeled toward her, his lip curled into a snarl. His face was a mask of anger, but many knew what lived beneath it. Blind fear. She knew, because she felt it clawing away at her own insides. Only experience kept her from screaming and tearing at the walls in a hopeless attempt to dig her way to freedom. You are not an authority here! I am the authority here when it comes to magic. You can listen to me, or you can die. Those are your two options, and it won't be long before we only have one left. The man on the other side of the door released a series of hideous shrieks and then fell silent the sounds of fighting and dying were fading they didn't have much time at all then with the easy targets taken care of the ghouls would start searching for any hidden survivors they weren't intelligent but their sole burning drive was to find life and snuff it out and they would do so until everything around them was dead only then would they feed worse If the sorcerer was powerful enough, he, or she, or, oh God, could there be two of them? More? Might raise the newly massacred, swelling the undead ranks in preparation for any Allied reinforcements that might arrive before the Germans were ready to take control of the trench. Marx's fingers hovered over the dials of the Morse transmitter for a long moment. Then he closed his hand and clenched his jaw.
2: Very well. What do you suggest we do?
0: Minnie took quick stock of the room and their resources. Take the transmitter. We might need it later. She pointed to a few shovels leaned against the bunker wall next to the door. Grab those. They'll be more useful than guns or knives. Ghouls have to be dismembered, but we aren't going to stop and engage with everyone we meet. Only fight to keep moving, not to win. There is no winning, only surviving, understand? The soldiers nodded, bewildered by the abrupt change in command. Minnie grabbed one of the oil lamps. A new idea forming. Using grenades would be tricky and troublesome in close quarters. But an improvised firebomb. Get the lanterns, too. Move. Move. The Harrowing of Minerva Dampson and its related stories are written, narrated, and produced by Jessica Linkhart, and features additional voice work by Miranda Lewis, Claire Miller, and Jamie Sykes. Art assets done in collaboration with Mitch Lewis. Thank you for listening. Our tale will continue next week.